Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, I'm going to preach a sermon that I'm going to entitle, Conquering the Trials of Life. Conquering the Trials of Life. There are portions of scriptures that sometimes I read and I am amazed at the consciousness of the person writing in God because certain statements, certain words spoken are so, so deep for a man to speak or write except if he knows God. Somebody shout hallelujah. There are things that I read and I'm questioning the consciousness of where this man was when he was speaking, of what was going on in the mind of this man when he was doing certain things. I'll give you an example of Jesus. When you read that story of, uh, you remember the time when he's sleeping in the boat? Do you remember? And the Bible tells us that while he was sleeping in the boat, the waves rose and the wind was boisterous. They beat the sheep that it was full. The storm was shaking and these men were fighting to preserve their lives. And then, this man, Jesus, the scriptures tell us he was asleep in the boat. He wasn't pretending to close his eyes. Come on. Jesus was not pretending to close his eyes. Jesus was not just resting. He was not relaxing in the boat. No. The Bible says he was in the hinder part of the sheep, asleep on a pillow. And the Bible says, and they awoke him. So if you are a thinker, you're taken aback to ask yourself, what manner of man and what kind of consciousness does he have toward God to find sleep that his entire body and soul agree to take a full time out and go in auto what? Auto mode. And a man just passes out totally while men are dying. What manner of consciousness was Jesus exercised into enough to sleep when everything on that boat would not warrant? This was not him trying to force himself to sleep. This was him literally sleeping effortlessly amidst the storm. It takes a certain exercise of the spirit. It takes a certain awakeness of a man to be able to see God that the whole entire body or nature 
of this man is arrested to the word of God and the way of truth. And such is an experience that I find in James when he speaks to us in the first chapter. We'll begin from the first verse. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And he says, my brethren, listen to this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And he says, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now let me go back. He says, count it all joy when diverse temptations befall you. I want you to go to the consciousness of a man who is instructing the church to do that. Let me give you an example. A man walks into the hospital and he has a pain somewhere. And then the doctor gives him the worst news and tells him this pain that you're feeling is a kind of disease. It's very aggressive and it's going to kill you in two months. And then James chapter 1 verses 2 tells us, brethren, count it all joy. Now, Imagine this man being told that you have two months to leave. And then he stands up and he says, thank you, Lord Jesus. He's not celebrating that he's going to meet his maker soon. Don't get this wrong. He's celebrating that he has been counted worthy to have such a trial. What manner of consciousness was in such men? Because of the things that we read, many times we don't take enough time to examine our hearts against these things, to have an experience of the reality of the place from where these men spoke the words that were spoken. Imagine, count it all but joy. Somebody somewhere working and then they tell him, you know what? We received news that your child died just two minutes ago. And then somebody stands up and starts dancing. Count it all but joy. How? A fundamental question, how many people in the world are able to dance next to the dead body of their child with a full hope that the trying of their faith worketh patience and as patience comes, it will have her perfect work that they might be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Who understands what I'm trying to tell you? But here James is telling us that there must be a certain consciousness that the believer should carry concerning the tests the trials of life. And in the conversation that I'm going to have with you, it's to the intent that God will help you see the way he sees these things you call the trials of life. There's somebody right now listening to me. You are going through something so hard that you somehow came out of your bed in spite of all that you're going through. And you said, let me just go and pray. There's trouble on every side. You've gone through a lot. When you start telling people, they might even find it so hard to believe that what you're saying is true. Not because it's good, but because it is too bad or it is too much to happen on one individual. There are people right now listening to me and they're going through exactly what I just said. Or maybe this someone might not be beneficial now, but in a few months, a few weeks, a few years, 
you're going to go back and replay it and remember the title and look for it on YouTube and play it and it will make sense. James is telling us, count it all but joy. Is it giving us a command with blind interpretation? Is he telling us just do it because God has said it? Or because there's a revelation behind why God has said it? When I studied this portion of scripture, I realized that actually out of the experiences that these men went through with the way of truth, the things that they were able to see, touch, and test concerning the word of truth, they come to this consciousness. And as they're teaching, they're not telling them what only the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, but they're sharing with people what they have had personal experiences for. And I've told men, count it all but joy when diverse tests or trials or temptations come toward you. And in the next verse, they tell us why. Verse 2, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Wow. God is saying, all that you're going through, is a trial of faith. It's a trial of your faith. <laughs> no, it's not here to kill you, but it will if you don't understand how it works. It's not here to sink you. It's not here to disqualify you. Whatever test is there is not here to destroy you. He's saying it is the trial of your faith. Oh, but Lord, it's incurable. Whatever it is, he's saying it is the trial of your faith. This is where you separate your screaming in the service to that moment when you are alone in the room. See, some of you don't know that those two things are different. When you're in service and then they preach a sermon and then you turn to your friend and give yourself a high five and say, yeah, then you write notes and then scream. And No, 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 no. That's not faith. I love that the rendering there is your face. I'm not talking about you joining your excitement with other people who are excited as well in that moment to say, oh, I'm a believer. I'm talking about that time where you're going to go through something and you wake up and realize you are alone. And God tells you, whatever it is, I have designed the life of my children not to fail. I have designed the life of my children to allow me to try their faith that I might approve them. That the trial of your faith might work patience. The trial of your faith. So, whatever comes your way is actually a matter of faith. It's not coming to kill you. It's a matter of faith. But, if you fail to believe, it could kill you. If you fail to take God at His word, it could kill you. If you fail to fight through the way you should, it could kill you. It's not meant to kill you, but it could kill you if you do not know how to fight or if you don't understand in the first place why it came. Nothing in this world was made or can be made by man or spirit that can destroy you. Nothing. Nothing. You must understand that. Nothing. There is nothing in this world, nothing. So when you read that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, it's true, nothing, 
nothing that can destroy you can ever be made. Or simply, whatever is made in the earth and looks like it can destroy you, cannot destroy you because it is formed. God cannot allow anything formed by man to destroy you. Nothing. Somebody shout hallelujah. But it says this is a trial of faith. It has nothing to do with those things. Oh, oh, you know, apostle, you don't know the demons in my father's house. But I know the devil. I know their father. I know their father. I know him. He was defeated thousands of years ago. He has no power over any of us who believes. We know. We know where the devil has been placed. The Bible says he's under our feet. We're seated above all principalities, powers, and dominions. We are above anything that could ever distress in this world. Nothing in the world, nothing in this world, this present world can destroy you. Nothing. But it's a trial of your faith. God is saying, no, 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 no. We're just shaking to see whether you believed or not. It's not about that disease, no. They're just trying to check to see whether you really are a believer or you're not a believer. Just try of your faith. And at the end, it tells you, verses 4, what the end or intended plan is. That when patience is with you, it will have her perfect work and that at the end of the day, you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That means your walk of faith is not supposed to leave you in luck. Your walk of faith is not supposed to leave you in any sort of wanting. Not health, not wealth, not peace, not joy, not glory. There is nothing that God has allowed to come your way that has not first measured you by God and qualified or approved you to win. Nothing. The Bible says no temptation that has befallen you has not befallen any man. Everything you're going through, there's somebody in the world who has gone through it or even worse. But the Bible says, but God is faithful. Hallelujah. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above, above that which you are able. It came to you because you were able to handle it. Actually, your tests prove your strength. In whichever way you've been tested is the very weight of expectation that God has, or even above, that God has concerning your life. He knows you very well. And he would not let anything that you cannot handle to come toward you. And you may say, oh no, this is a castle, God, I'm going to die, why me? And James says, count it all but joy when diverse trials and temptations befall you. Why? Because these men saw it through the right lens of truth. But whenever a trial came, it was coming to approve them. It wasn't coming to disqualify them. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. If you study the Greek language, the Greek word for trials, you read the word, the trials, or the trial of your faith, is doki me on. Doki me on. It means, listen, now this is amazing. The word doki me on, it means to prove. Are you hearing me? It means to prove, like the proving of something to confirm whether it's genuine. If it's a metal, to prove whether it's alloyed. You see? It means to what? To prove. 
So the heart of God in our trials we face is intended to prove us, to prove us, to prove our genuineness. It has nothing to do with that little disease. No, God is trying to prove your genuineness. It has nothing to do with everything that you lost and the debt that you have on your account. No, it has nothing. He's saying, I'm trying to prove your genuineness. Separate what you're going through with what God's heart is concerning that issue. He's saying, I'm just trying to prove whether you are pure and perfected or there's some sort of impurities. There's some alloys in this coin. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm trying to weigh your genuineness. I'm trying to weigh whether you really believe like you say that you believe in me or you don't. I'm trying to discover whether when you say that you believe in what my word says, you really believe what my word says or it's just a newspaper. I'm trying to prove your sterling worth. Your sterling worth. How much pure are you as a metal? How much consecrated are you in the way of faith? Somebody shout hallelujah. So if I go back to that portion of scripture to read it, I would actually say, my brethren, count it all but joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the proving of your faith worketh patience. In other words, from the time this thing came, God began proving you. Somebody shout hallelujah. God began what? Proving you. He started to test your trustworthiness. Why? It's important for God to qualify you to the place where he must use you as he should. Because some of us, we are too confused within us to be used by God like we should. Some of us have a lot of impurity. And I'm not just talking about the sin of the flesh. Oh, I lied. Oh, I did this. Oh, I stole money. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about a deeper offense of indifference. He says, that which is not done in faith is what? Sin. Are you following what I'm saying? And God wants to qualify you through life. Such that you live a life of the qualified. In other words, when you enter the Christian faith and you say that I'm going to be born again, I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then you say, now he's mine and I'm his. You began your test. But that test was there to make sure that God would remove any kind of carnality out of your spirit that you might be proved trustworthy. You see? So they can say, you know what? If I need to do this on the earth, I can trust this man. I approve. That's the approval of God to say she has gone through so much and she has stood the test and done everything as according to what the word says. And therefore I approve her. The Bible says in the book of Acts, it talks of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2 verses 22. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, he says, was a man approved of God among you. By what? By miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. He was a man approved by God. Approved by God. To go to a point where if God is saying, I think I need to heal somebody, your name pops up. I think I need to bless a nation. Your name pops up. I think I need to transform a community. Your name pops up. I think I want to touch a generation. Your name pops up. I think I need to redeem this mother. Your name pops in the head of heaven. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to get to a point where when they are looking for people to go for him, 
Your name is mentioned. They can say, ah, ah, we have a champion somewhere down there in Kampala. Your name. Yeah. If you need this done, this is the person you're going to trust to do that. Why? Because they are approved. They've been tried and tested. And we know when they reach this circumstance, when they go through this, oh, if they meet this kind of spirit, they know what to do. Do you know that if you have ever defeated an incurable disease or a killer disease, you actually have the anointing to heal anybody of that disease? Oh, you didn't hear what he just said. Let me say it again. Whatever you have conquered, you can conquer for another person. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever you have conquered, you can conquer for another man. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody comes and says, oh, you know, I have heart disease. Oh, don't worry. I got healed of heart disease. Bring your body. Power of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because you've been approved. You were tried and you were proved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When whatever demon of that disease appears to you, it knows you. It knows, no, this one we have ever tried and we couldn't kill her. This one we know. Paul, we know. You remember when the scripture says, Paul, we know. That's exactly what it means. That we have tried this one. We know her. Let me tell you. That is why it is a spiritual error to heal of a certain disease and then it kills you. That is an error. Even when you first get in heaven, the angels say, but you're not serious. Welcome to glory. They first say, but you're not serious, Annette. Welcome to glory. Hallelujah, glory to God. If COVID went through you, COVID will never kill you. Who has understood what I just said? It will never kill you. 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 You've gone past that. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Some of you didn't get it, but you passed people who had it. And you're still alive. Some of you even never fell sick. Oh, you got it, but it didn't show any symptoms. Hey, that's who you are. That's who you are. And COVID knows you. I know scientists are saying, no, this man. No, 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 no. Here we're not teaching science. No. <laughs> Here we're not teaching science. Here we're teaching truth. Somebody shout amen. Shout glory to God. When I understood this, I started to respect why the Bible tells us in Timothy to study the word that we might be one. Proved or approved unto God. To study the word that we might be approved unto God. To study the word that we might be approved unto God. Again, the word used there is doki me no. To study the word that we might be actually, this word can also be rendered as study the word that you might be tried unto God. <laughs> Who has understood it? When you study the word of God, you are preparing yourself for a test. Who has understood? You have two choices. Either don't study, so when it comes, you have no answer. Oh, study hard. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the very word here, documento, right, used for trial, is the very word for approval here. Did you get what I just said? 
So it means every time you're hearing the word, you're preparing yourself for some exam coming. Right now, your students in class, you're seated, you're receiving things. Are you hearing me? Revelation is coming to you. We have those ones who put up their hands. We have those ones who don't put up their hands. We have those students who come late in class. We have those ones who come early. We have those ones who write notes. We have those ones who don't have notes. <laughs> Woo! Did you understand what I just said? We have those ones who are active. We have those ones who are dormant. All of them are what? Students. But in school, I also remember kids who used to be so active. But when we get in the exams, things change. And then, I remember in university, we had this guy. He never used to write notes. But he always used to win. How? I don't know. We used to have kids who used to wake up at night. They used to call it what? Winter. Then they put their legs in a... Then they read. And then the exams reach. And then... Then we used to have the Lubega Graces. Who used to read? Don't try this at home. Who used to read? One day before. <laughs> and then you get your 70, your 80, your 90. And then we have those ones who used to try to read one day before and they get 20%. And then we had those ones who just sit in class. They don't write notes, but they get it. Then we had those ones who had very arranged notes. But they can't even read them. Tell your neighbor when on you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But he says, study to show yourself tried unto God. In other words, you're not going to avoid whether it's next week or next year or next month. One day you're going to wake up and it's on your door. It might take a week, but it will come. It might take a year, but it will come. That's why he didn't say, if you go through fire. He says, when you go through fire. He didn't say, if you go through water. No, no. He says, when you go through the waters, it's a when. It's not an if, it's a when. It will come, brother. It will come. Speak tongues, do what it will come. The question is how you will deal with it when it comes. Some people come out without a scratch, without smoke, without a smell of it. You can't even tell it passed. Are you hearing me? But it comes. It comes. That is why when we go back to the farmer that went sowing seeds, the Bible speaks of those who receive the word in joy and then they scream and dance and do whatever they do. Give me the Amplified, Matthew 13, 21. Uh -huh. Yet it has no real root in what? In him. They are screaming, but it has no root in him. But it is temporary. It is what? inconstant. It lasts but a little while. And when affliction, listen, or trouble, or persecution, affliction, or trouble, or persecution comes on account, listen, of the word. It comes on account of the word. You thought you were going to teach this thing and not be persecuted? Apostle Grace. You understand what I'm saying? You thought you were going to listen to this message and not expect some random bird to write something about. What's wrong with you? It has to come. It has to come. You thought you were going to receive, you know, revelation and the depth of the mysteries of God. You're demystifying things and you're going and launching deeper in the things of God. And you thought that as you were sitting there, some exam wasn't being set. Because I said it didn't work. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. So the Bible tells us, so we have those people, they receive it with joy. They will come it with joy and accept it with joy. Huh? They receive the message with joy. And then they scream and then they, hey, today there's someone who, oh, let me go eat myself a burger. This thing is mine, apostle. You've, woo! You understand? The whole week, they're even confessing the words. <laughs> to prove that they've what? Understood it. And the Bible says, but there's no real root in that person. They're not yet rooted, but they don't know. So the Bible tells us, and then persecution comes, affliction comes, and trouble comes on account of the word. And the Bible says, and at once that person is caused to stumble. He is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey, and he falls away. And the same person you expected to be believing is the same person who is confessing, I'm, I'm gone. No, but you were in that someone 360 what? Uh, yeah, I believe it, but eh, eh, things are tight. No, but you attended Fanero 267. Yeah, that someone blessed me, but you know, you don't understand what I'm going through. What do you mean we don't understand what you're going through? No, 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 this is deeper than Fanero 267. What about 38? Oh, no, no, that one. Okay, that one was deep. Ah, it's right, but ah, what I'm, you understand? And then you start going through this story to and fro with this individual. And then you realize there was no root. So you settle it in your heart that a test somehow will come on account of what I have been given. To whom much is given, much is required. But here is the end of the Lord. He has told you the end of it. That you might be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Now when you're reaching that test, you're ready. You're ready. You have the boldness to say, uh uh, this is not going to happen. Oh, no, 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 no. People don't come out of this. No, no, no. Me, I came out long ago. Oh, no, no. You can't break through this. No, no, no. We're not talking about breakthrough here. I broke out long ago. Oh, no. People cannot succeed. When you get into this circumstance, usually, no, no. I'm the unusual one in this narrative. You get to a point of test and you already, you know exactly what's going to turn out, how it's going to happen. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. That is why in James, again as you read chapter 1, when you go down in the 12th verse, James introduces us to a word, a very special word that I want to give you this evening. He says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, documento, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Wow! The Bible calls it the crown of life. Now I know you read your Bible, but I don't think some of you have ever taken time to study what the crown of life is. What is the crown of life? What is the crown of life? The Greek word there for crown is Stephanos, meaning the victor's word, crown. A symbol of what? Triumph. And more than us who are here today, when you go back to Greek culture and then study back in the day, when somebody earned a certain honor in the community, in society, and they wanted to honor them publicly, there was a wreck that was made. Was I made of garland or ivy or parsley or whatever it is? They used to make crowns 
and put them on individuals. And these people will go through marching through the streets either on horses or something, saying that this person has succeeded in such a great word. Work, whatever it was in society, when somebody did something that was esteemingly high, when somebody did something that was outstanding, and the community or society wanted to honor you, they would design a crown for you as Greek culture, Roman culture. And it's through this language that this man writes. So that's what you call the victor's crown. So he's saying, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. The crown of life. Let me explain what the crown of life is. Spiritually speaking, spiritually, not physical, spiritually speaking, every child of God, every child of light has a distinctive mark of influence. And that mark of influence spiritually is your crown. So when we say that we are crowned by God in the trial of our faith, what exactly do we mean? For example, when the Bible says that the name of Jesus was voiced abroad. Let me just give you an example. That the name of Jesus was voiced abroad. People spoke about the name of Jesus far off. And the Bible says that whenever he came, they brought the sick because they knew that wherever that man is, the sick are what? A heal. Now, as far as his name was extended, spiritually was his crown of influence. Because you cannot influence beyond your crown, spiritually. Paul calls it the rule of the measure. The rule of the measure. He said, we're not of them like, as those which boast beyond. But he tells us that we are within the measure, according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us. A measure, he says, to which we reach over to you as well. That to as many people as I'm able to reach is my measure in the spirit. And so is my crown of influence. There are people in this world, even your neighbor doesn't know your name. Even your father, when he's calling, he forgets it. He calls your elder brother's name. Somebody shout fire. <laughs> You're so uninfluential in the spirit realm that when people meet you, they've forgotten your name. And people say, ah, no, it's okay. My name is so and so. No, something is wrong with you. If somebody can meet you two times, three times, and they still forget your name, something is wrong. Fix yourself. Somebody shout hallelujah. Why? Because your name is a place of identity in the spirit. It's the essence of your influence, your meraki, yourself in the world. It carries an identity and a symbol that is so powerful. That is why you cannot name your children funny names because that's who they become. Your name carries the power to become. How do you get in a place and they don't know you? And I'm not talking about cheap popularity. You know, we have people who love cheap popularity. Even when they have nothing to say, they'll start a YouTube page. They must be famous at any cost. No, I'm talking about those ones who even in their hiding, something just... Oh! You remember the scripture that says, you know, when you come into greatness, do not sit on the front row. No, sit in the back. At least the man with greater honor would come and they'll take you away. Put you in that back and then put that man with greater honor, what? In front, because, you know, this is how life is. And the 
lesson there is God is trying to tell you that don't try to push yourself or whenever you are in public, never seek attention. If you know me, that is God. When you get to know God, you will never seek attention. Even when they're making lines, you can tell people, no, go first. Why? Because what's on me that I need to go first to get the best? Even if I come in fourth, I will get the best. You will never try to fight for positions. You know, there are people who are so competitive with life. Even where their names are not necessary to be mentioned by wisdom and design, they mention themselves. You know, as all of you know, my name is... I am the... I studied... You know, it's important to introduce myself because uh, one time somebody was telling me, oh, you know, that one of the greatest things God has given them is they know how to introduce themselves. It's only because they've never been introduced by God. Oh, God can introduce. God can introduce. Some of you, I wish you know how God introduces. Somebody's over lunch minding their own business and then you pass and they say, ha, that woman, she is wealthy. That's an introduction. So I'll ask, what's her name? Oh, that brother. He's wise. What's his name? You understand? But you just bypass people and it's hi, hi. So what I was telling you, oh, no, 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 no. You understand what I'm saying? Work on your crown. The problem with our believers is we have not learned how to live within. Our closets don't have testimonies. Our altars cannot introduce us. Some of your altars are too dull. They're too weak. They carry no influence. They carry no purpose. They carry no direction. Your altars are full of survival tears. You're always there, oh God, if you can only help me. If you can only help me, God. If only I can just break through. No, no, no. May God change your altar. May it speak differently. May it introduce you differently. May it speak where you're not able to speak. And the Bible says, and the God who sees you in silence will reward you open. I've always told you there is no man with an open reward without a secret place with God. It cannot happen. When you find somebody fighting so much to get attention outside, it's because they don't have attention within. When you find somebody who's trying to fight to get influence and then you spoil another person's reputation. You speak about a brother and a sister. You have to belittle them uh, a bit and debase them for you to carry the influence that you need before or favor or such that they pull out this person so they can appoint you there. No, it's only because you have nobody speaking for you. But the day you have one, the day God speaks for you, you'll be amazed at how the world responds. Favors will come before you ask for them. You'll not give testimonies of, I asked them and they did it for me. No. You'll give testimonies before I asked. They looked at me and said, we must favor this man. We must favor this woman. Let me say this in the name of Jesus, that every man and woman at the sound of my voice, may God give you a distinctive place that the influence on your life will be effortless and it shall be for good. 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 In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, back to Stephanos. Now, this crown, this influence, God is saying, everything that 
has come toward you to attack you or to frustrate you. Every trouble in your life was there to expand your influence in the spirit, to crown you. But the Bible says that for us which require mastery, we are not crowned if we do not strive lawfully. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet he will not be crowned except he strive lawfully. That means that there are spiritual laws that govern all mastery. It's not coincidence. If you're ever going to be great at anything in this world, there are spiritual laws that govern every nature or form of greatness. You don't just become. And nobody becomes by accident. Or if they are by accident, then accidents will take them back to where they truly belong. Every man eventually is where they are supposed to be. The problem with us is we examine life through the lenses of carnal interpretation. We examine life only through what men are able to interpret about the physical world. We're not able to understand what really happens in the spirit realm. But I'll tell you something, that there are things that will qualify you in life. And not many in the carnal world of men carry the language or interpretation. You can only understand them through knowing who God is and what he has promised or spoken concerning your life. You can only understand these things by connecting to the laws. Did you know that faith is a law? How many of you knew that the way of faith is actually a law? Bible says, where is our boasting? Wherein do we boast? Is our boasting excluded? No. He says, nay, but by the law of faith. We boast by the law of faith. There's a place in life where faith becomes a law to function under. It's not just the one thing you apply yourself to when you are in some sort of trouble or pain or confusion. It becomes a law that is at work in your life. That even if somebody woke you up at 3 a.m., or if they called you concerning anything, they know how you respond because you are patterned in your spirit to respond to life that way. It's not something that happens next week or next year. It is something that comes through exercising of yourself. And as you continue to grow in the ways of God, certain things start to build in you, a sort of edifice in the spirit. And you can feel that power. You can literally feel that influence or strength when you speak to the things that are living and the things that are not living. I pray somebody understands what I'm saying. I pray somebody understands what I'm saying. He says that we commend ourselves to the consciences of men as we speak truth. There's a place in God where what you call truth according to your mind becomes truth by experience. And it defines a certain authority of you or in you, in the spirit realm. And when that authority is working on your life, whatever you speak into or you command, eternally is of influence. Eternally will cause change. Eternally will abide. There are things that we say or speak that are so eternally rooted that as long as the earth remains, those things that were spoken will have influence. They'll have influence. Recently, somebody sent me a video. Somebody gave her a message I preached last year. And she had a tumor in her body. Doctors failed to heal it. It's as hard as a stone. And then she tuned the sermon I preached last year. And in that year, I gave a word of knowledge. In that meeting, 
of somebody who had a similar issue and they were healed. And the moment she had that word spoken, she received the very word spoken last year in a sermon. And it still had the authority and influence to get that tumor out of her body immediately because Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the word being timeless and eternal, once you understand how to connect to the graces of that authority in your spirit, for as long as my sermons are played, a man will play this sermon 10 years one day and it will get HIV out of their body. For as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. This word here that we're speaking is actually a seed being planted in your lives, being planted in your heart, being planted in the atmosphere. Uganda is hearing this message. Not just the people of Uganda, no. The trees of Uganda listening, the lakes of Uganda listening, the rivers of Uganda listening, the streets of Uganda listening, the forests of Uganda listening, the wild animals in Uganda are listening to this message right now. Such consciousness have we toured him. Because when he sent us, he said, go and preach this gospel to the whole world, to every creature. He did not say every individual. He said every creature. Anything that was created by God or man has the ability of understanding you and responding to you. Even if it is 200 years, if Christ is not yet back, if you were planted in the word so deeply, your great, great, great grandchildren will enter certain doors because of your name. Your great, great grandchildren will enter certain opportunities because of your name. They will eat in places they would not have eaten into except they bore your name. Why? Because the word of God is eternal. It works. It works. It works. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when we're talking about the blessing of a thousand generations, you must understand what that means. You're not in Fanero just to receive a message of a week. No. Oh, everything that should come out of you, your great, 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 great grandchildren, right now they're here. You might not see them physically, but they're receiving faith. See, Paul met Timothy and he says, mm, the faith in this boy was not constructed when he received Jesus. No, he told him, I recall to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in me, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and it is in your mother Eunice, and that faith is in you also, but it began with Lois. If a woman before Lois had believed, Paul would have seen four generations of faith operating in one boy. And I thank God it went through a mother, meaning it's not respective of whether it's a father or a mother. There's things that you are constructing right now that have an influence on your child. There are things you're doing right now that have an influence on your great-grandchildren. Oh! That's your crown. That's your crown. For a man to know God enough and say, nobody in my generation will take alcohol. That's faith. Nobody in my generation will get high on drugs. That's faith. None of my children or great-grandchildren or lineage will die of HIV. That is faith. That's what you're doing now. That is why you're sitting late on a Thursday night instead of being in a movie. Or covering yourself with some blankets and drinking wine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you, the things you're doing, you don't have a clue about. My grandfather was a preacher. Something had to move through that lineage to find Grace Lubega. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
There is always a seed of God in every household. I'll teach about it soon when the Bible says in Psalms that the Lord sets the solitary in homes. Some people interpret that portion of scripture as lonely people, orphaned people. The psalmist says it. Now, the word there, when you study the Greek word there for solitary, it doesn't mean a person who is alone. No. The Hebrew, it literally translates as the Lord sets one of his own in every home. Psalm 68 verse 6. Do you understand what I'm saying? In every generation, he'll always preserve a man or woman that will preserve the posterity. That is why, again, I say, you're not just here attending a service. You're here shaping genes. Somebody shout hallelujah. Fixing DNAs. Glory to God. Those things of in our family, there is hypertension. Right now, we are changing the code of hypertension out of your house. We are changing the DNA that carries diabetes. Oh, glory to God. We're changing that DNA, those genes that carry cancerous cells. Right now, we are fixing them. The word of God is eternal. And as you expand your crown of influence in the world that is seen, so it is with your posterity. So it is with your generation. We're not just here to enjoy sermons. No. We're fixing our kids. We're fixing our marriages. We're fixing our great-grandchildren. We're investing for them right now. So when the time comes, certain girls will look at Lubega's daughter and say, mm -mm, we knew your father. Glory to God. Put your hand on your head and say, my children will not suffer. Say it again. Shout amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's the inheritance. That's true inheritance. Not what you leave them. It begins with you. Revelation chapter 21 verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. He that overcometh in what? In the trial of faith shall inherit all things. So when a man tells you whether Paul or Apollos whether things present or things to come, all are yours and your Christ. He's talking about overcomers. He's talking to men which have understood the way of victory. They carry that crown every morning. You might not see it before them yet. A lot might have not yet changed, but believe me, they are on a course, they are on a journey, and things are adjusting, whether you have seen them physically yet or not. Some of us are too persuaded. Some of us are too persuaded that even if we have not seen any sign, it doesn't take away our persuasion. Some of us are too persuaded that even when we've not seen yet the thing physically, we've not yet seen the answer physically, it does not take away our persuasion or confession because we know whom we have believed. We have been tried enough to doubt God on everything he has spoken. Even when I've not seen it for three or four, five years, it doesn't change my confession, my expectation, my reaction, my response to life because I know very well that his word is true. That patience of faith is what I'm talking about. He says it perfects you, makes you entire, and you get to a point where you want nothing. In other words, you will not want any good thing you will not want health and not have it. You will not want provision and not have it. 
You will not want glory and not have it. You will not want influence and not have it. You will not want wisdom and not have it. You will not want anything and not have it. You will not want anything and not have it. Because you're in the realm of inheritance, divine inheritance. Not what your father and mother left you, but what God has given you through Christ. That when heaven looks for men to trust, you're there. They know she will do it. She will do it. She can stand. See, some of you, you celebrate us because we've not showed you our scars. One young man came to me and told me, Apostle Grace, I want seven times your anointing. I told the boy, you'll die. And I walked away. And I don't think he understood it. Because they don't know a half or even a quarter of what we've seen in God. Let me tell you, it is so easy to admire a product of whose journey you have no clue about until the Lord puts you there once and you sit into it and really understand. But believe me, not many can carry some of the things some of us carry. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. But to know that everything that has tried me has proved me. Now I understand why James tells me, count it all but joy. That realization did not come my first year of ministry. It didn't come my second year of ministry. It's been many years, but I can actually tell you that even when it is bad, even when my head loses it a bit, I know how to go back in that room and clap my hands, knowing very well that the trial of my faith worketh patience. And with this patience, the perfect work of God is perfected in me that I may be entire, complete, wanting nothing. In other words, it has not come to kill me. What tries you approves you. Whatever tried you has sought to approve you. Whatever tested you, in whichever way you've been tested, behind the heart of God in this was to approve you. You should have known better. You should have responded better. Some of you fell back. Some of you regressed. Some of you worsened. Some of you laxed. Some of you gave up. Some of you lost meaning of it. And I want to recollect your mind a bit from today so you can start your construction. The geometry of your understanding of faith should start today. That whatever should come in your way, first raise your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Because this is an easy one. Did you realize that later Paul in that same conviction would arguably tell any man that I fight the good fight of faith. He tells his son Timothy too. He tells him, look, I have fought one. You too should fight the good fight of faith. He did not say fight the fight of faith. He said fight the good fight of faith. Who has understood it? No, he did not say fight the fight of faith. He said fight the fight of faith. Why is it good? Because God has promised that crown. To the degree of your trial is to the degree of the crown. It's the degree of the crown. It's the degree of the crown. It's the level of approval. Let me tell you, some of you have gone through so much that if you understand what God was up to by letting these things come to you, you'd start celebrating. <laughs> Uh, 
The Bible says, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. And what we call this crown of life. This crown of life is something we wear in the spirit realm. People don't see it. But when we stand before closed doors, they open because they can see that crown. When we stand before things that are frustrating, we know how to break through because those things see those crowns. When we stand before any tests or testations, when diseases come, these things look at those crowns and they know, this one we have tried, but we know we're not going to defeat. This one we opened the war, but we know we're not going to bury her. This one we know we are testing, but we can't win by this. Listen, these crowns in the spirit are real. And if these things start introducing you, even when you step in a nation, the nation will know that you have come. When you step in a district, the district will know that you have come. When you enter a school, the school will know that you have come. Even when you fly out of a nation, the nation will feel that you're not there. Why? Because your place in the spirit is so defined. It's succinct and distinct. You're not ordinary. You're not usual. The crown of life is on you. I say the crown of life is on you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. So this crown, Stephanos, is the Stephen in the book of Acts. You remember Stephen? Stephanos? Same name. He's the typification of the bigger picture. The miniature one, the smaller one of the bigger revelation. This man healed the sick, did miracles in markets, and they started stoning at him. Remember the scripture? And the Bible tells us that as they stoned him, he raises his eyes in the heavens and he said that I see the Son of God standing on the right hand of God. And I've shared this once many years ago that the Jesus I have read about in scripture was always seated at the right hand of the Father. But there is a man who was so full of the word that as he began speaking and teaching, giving a defense of his face, the crown of life came upon him and his face started shining. The Bible says they looked at him and his face was shining. And then the heavens opened and as he was speaking, heaven was gripped by the influence of this man's revelation that the Son of God stood up. The Bible says, Jesus stood up. I don't think any angel was seated. Are you following me? Jesus stood up at a man who was so full of faith. And as they stunned him, heaven was clapping, celebrating, telling Stephen, come back home. Come, come you crowned man. And he has the audacity to tell God, like Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was a man who was no longer functioning in the carnal nature to seek vindication of them which were seeking after his life because the love of God had consumed him through the way of wisdom and revelation. And if you study the scriptures, it was as he started to speak the things of the Spirit that the glory of God came upon him and it provoked everything in hell, the crown of influence that made the lame walk and opened the blind eyes now had transformed itself into the way of wisdom and it had said to demystify mysteries and eternal things started falling on them which were to be saved and they became offensive to them that were to be destroyed and Jesus stood up and said this boy is preaching listen the crowns that we carry by God 
will put anybody in heaven on their feet because it's the honor of your faith. Some of you, there's things you have done through faith. And I see Jesus getting up at his feet and saying, Are you feeling what I'm feeling? Open your mouth and speak to God. Speak to God. Come on. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, of life the crown of life what were the trials of life became the crown of life God wants to crown you in honor of your faith Jesus Jesus, Lamb of God. Just take a few minutes and speak to God. Take a few minutes and speak to God. Something is happening here. I cannot name it because it has no language. But I see the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Come on, let's pray. Mashora balalebo. Oh, Come on, talk to God. 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 Bible says by faith, by faith, by faith, Noah, by faith, Moses, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah. If the elders obtained a good report, it will work for you. 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 Your faith will not fail. It will not fail. We count it all by joy. We count it all by joy. 
because every trial was our approval every test was your glory every trial was your victory every trial was your crown it was meant to purify you to consecrate you it came for you to win it came for you to increase in influence to increase in glory to advance for advantage for progress God trusted you enough that regardless of what tested you you could handle that is why it came to you that is why it came to you that is why it came to you because he knew he knew us the ability to overcome Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. Name. Jesus. Jesus. Lamb of God. This is my prayer for you. May faith have its perfect work in your life. Today God speaks so deeply to you that count it all but joy when diverse trials come because this is for your good. This is for your crown. This is for your approval. This is for your glory. This is for your progress. This was meant to give you a name among names. This was meant to give you an influence among influencers. For you to walk in power among them which have power. This was meant to give you a voice among them which have voices. It is not there to destroy you. It is there to advantage you, to advance you and reveal God in places you could have never reached, in places your name could have never gone. May words be spoken one day that in Uganda there was a woman which was healed of a disease that people are not healed of. There is a man who did things that pastors don't do. There is a man who walked in a glory that men in Africa have not seen, in Europe have not seen, in Asia have not seen. That there was a woman who walked in such a revelation like we have not had in the world before. That there was a man who saw such glory like we have never read in scripture before. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which you dare to ask or think according to the working power that worketh in you. May he give you the understanding today never to lose peace, never to lose your joy, never to lose your trouble because of the tests that will come in life. But you'll thank God for them because your eyes will see what they're meant for and that they're for good and glory and not shame or destruction give the lord a marvelous praise if you're sick in your body i decree and i declare right this very moment that you are healed that you are healed blood diseases are healed kidneys are healed liver issues lung issues are healed right now right under this anointing 
struggle and strife ceases now with you you have a great week ahead of you you have a great month ahead of you you have a great year ahead of you the worst has already happened the greatest days are ahead of you give the lord a mighty 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 come on louder joy so if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus you're going to repeat these words after me just say Lord Jesus say I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory this day I choose to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior, I believe that you came that I would have life and have it fully. I know from today I am your child. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our week weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.